Well, good morning. So good to see you and to be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you know, I believe, that um, I serve within a varsity Christian fellowship full time. I've been doing that for, um, I'm finishing my 41st year. But when I was first invited um, to, to serve within a varsity, I learned a little bit about the process, what I needed to do, and I, uh, my, my first response was no. I think I've told this story to you, uh, some of you. <clears throat> it wasn't at all that I didn't want to do campus ministry. I very much wanted to do campus ministry. It's just that I didn't want to raise the support that I needed to in order to do it. Could you relate to why I hesitated? Yeah. Probably not many of you would want to raise the support. I certainly didn't want to. But a good friend of mine encouraged me to reconsider. He said something like this. If God is calling you to work with students through university, it won't be you raising your support as much as it will be God lowering it. Gary Pascarell, for those who know. <clears throat> The perspective of God providing for the needs of his work, to which I sensed that he was calling me, this was exactly the encouragement that I needed in that moment. So trusting everything was in God's hand, I applied. Several months later, a local pastor met with me to strongly advise against serving on staff within a varsity. Since he felt that I would never be able to raise the funds that I needed to stay here. He said that he wanted to spare me the disappointment of failing. And even when I tried to share with him my belief that God would provide the means for me to do this work, he left unconvinced. And honestly... I left wondering if I had made a mistake. But over 40 years later, I'm thankful to be able to say that it wasn't a mistake. God did call me, and he's provided, faithfully lowering the support needed year after year. This, this image of God lowering the support, it has always reminded me of the way that God provided for his people in the desert for 40 years as they made their way to the promised land. And I'm sure that some lights are going off in your head. Oh, I see what he's doing here, right? Exodus chapter 14 and 15, it describes the account of the of these Israelites who had been miraculously freed from the Egyptians by God before they entered into the Sinai Peninsula, into this region called the Desert of Shur. Within three days, they were out of water, which when you're in a desert, it's a problem. But rather than look to God, who had just saved them by parting the Red Sea, they turned on their leader, Moses, crying out, what are we going to drink? Here they were, halfway through their first week on their journey, 
And they were already wondering if perhaps they had made a mistake. But Moses hadn't forgotten God's promise to provide, and so he cried out to God, and God provided for them exactly what they needed. Sweet, clean water. You continue to read. Not a month goes by when they again turned against their leaders, complaining now that there wasn't enough food to eat. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they, they said. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Here they were, not even a month into their journey, wondering again if they had made a mistake trusting that God would provide. This time, before Moses even had a chance to pray, God spoke to him, and this is what God said. I've, I've heard the Israelites' complaints, okay? Now tell them this. In the evening, you will have meat to eat, and in the morning, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is this? What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is food. It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. You continue to read. You continue to read. You continue to read. For the next 40 years, God provided for them every step of the way, just as he had promised but also for the next 40 years. Whenever they faced new challenges, they uh, complained against God, wondering if perhaps they had made a mistake in trusting in his provision. Have you ever wondered if you have made a mistake putting your trust and God, have you ever wondered if you've made a mistake? So most of us, I think, can look back and we can see God's provision for our lives. The longer we live, the more stories we have of the ways in which God's provided his faithfulness and his goodness. We can see it looking back oftentimes. And even when things actually didn't work out the way that we had hoped or the way that even we had prayed, we can often look back with that 2020 hindsight and we can see, oh, God's ways are much better than mine. And, and we can thank God that perhaps we didn't get the way, you know, things done the way that we had wanted. So then we were faced with this question, then why is it oftentimes then so difficult for some of us to trust him for the things that we need today? Why is that so difficult? All right, so we're going to come back to that question, but I need like to make a little commercial. <clears throat> uh, we are launching a new sermon series today. 
All right, that's the announcement. Okay, um, it is, uh, as Victoria said, uh, we've called it, because of our creativity, we've called it the I Am series, uh, where we're exploring the seven I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And it's going to bring us through, for those who are liturgical among us, it's bringing us through this period called Lent. Um, and uh, it'll bring us right up to Easter. So uh, here are the, the statements. I'm the bread of life, which we're going to cover today. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. We're going to hit that one on Easter. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. So today we're considering what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. And it's somewhat ironic that the only person on staff who doesn't eat bread is the one assigned to give this message. <laughs> but thankfully, Jesus wasn't insisting that all of his followers eat bread for life. That's really good news for me. Instead, he was using this term bread of life as a metaphor, which I think we get. It's a metaphor to reveal something awesome about himself. Jesus' declaration that he is the bread of life, it's found in John chapter 6, and we'll put the text up. What's interesting about this chapter is that it begins with the account of Jesus multiplying five small loaves of barley bread and two small fish, to feed an estimated 10,000 people, 5,000 men and then the children and spouses. And yet the chapter ends, so that's how it begins. 10,000 people all crowding around Jesus, and Jesus is doing something incredible. But here's how it ends. It ends with most of those people turning their backs on Jesus, having decided that following him would be a mistake. So when you read this chapter, it's like, what happened? Jesus, what did you say? That's what we're going to look at. Because what he said was, I am the bread of life. We're going to pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What shall we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Well, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe you. What can you do? After all. Our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says, 
Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. <clears throat> Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him shall have eternal life and will raise them up at that last day. Let's pray. <clears throat> Those are powerful words, God. Praying that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us. Open up your word, God, so that we can understand it and figure out how on earth to live this out in a way that honors you. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, many uh, who found Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee... Um, they were those who had just earlier, uh, a day earlier, had filled their stomachs with that fresh bread and that fish that Jesus had miraculously provided. When I was thinking about them following around, um, my cat was outside my office door, meowing, 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 and I, and I realize uh, it's time for lunch. And I, uh, so suddenly this picture of these people following Jesus around, uh, it became like my cat. <laughs> they <laughs> following me around because they were hungry and they were just meowing, meowing, meowing. Love you, Ziff. Okay. Um, so these, uh, these people, this crowd, um, we know, right, they had actually become more mesmerized um, by the miracles that Jesus was doing than by Jesus, the, the miracle maker. So the miraculous signs that they failed to understand, that they failed to see that Jesus talks about, these were all signs that were actually pointing to Jesus, but they were reading these signs backwards, or they were misinterpreting these signs. They were interpreting them some way in a way that 
oh, it must mean that you're trying to improve my life somehow, or you're trying to take care of me and my needs. They were misinterpreting the signs. They were reading the signs backwards. No doubt, um, because we know a lot about uh, the economy uh, of that time, no doubt many of the crowd lived day to day, not knowing where their next meal would come from. And so the thought, right, of having this superpower, right, to be able to turn you know, um, a little bit of food into as much food as you needed? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be amazing. Give me that, Jesus. Give me that. So we want to perform God's works too. What, what should we do, they call out? My family. Man, if I had that power, I could really take care of them. Mm. And then Jesus says this. Believe believe this is the eating the greek it's like oh this maybe is like an important word to this book it is believe believe in fact uh the writer of the book um john he says this in the near the very end of the book he tells us why he wrote the book which is amazing he says this the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's John 20, verses 30 and 31. Well, the word in the original language for believe is bestuo. Bestuo, that will be on the test, bestuo. And it has the meaning, actually, of, of entrusting oneself to another. Some of us don't think of belief that way, but it has this idea of entrusting oneself to another or to make an unconditional commitment um, to someone. Oftentimes we think of it as like, oh, I believe, again, like this chair will hold me up or something like that. But the, really the way that it's meant here in this text and in John's gospel is it's a reference to a commitment to someone, to someone, to believe in someone. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, believe in the one God has sent. So believing in Jesus, we know this. Believing in Jesus is far more than just simply agreeing with like a, a theological tenet. Like, oh, I believe all that. Yeah, I'm good. No, it has so much more than just believing theology or doctrine or what's true about him. As somebody said this morning, even the demons know what's true about Jesus. That's not the kind of belief that we're being called to. Believing in Jesus isn't somehow tied up with hoping that if we believe hard enough that he will somehow do exactly what we want him to do when we want it done. No, this is not belief, the kind of belief that we're being called to either. No, it's belief in Jesus. It's a commitment 
um, to unconditionally um, commit ourselves to live our lives wholeheartedly for him. How are we doing? I'm seeing some scowls. Okay, now I'm seeing a smile. Okay, I'm going to continue. But like many people today, many in the crowd with Jesus that day did not believe that he was the son of God. So they did what many do who are struggling with faith. And sometimes I've been there. Sometimes I think many of us have been there. We say, if you really are the son of God, if you really, if what, if, if what I supposedly believe about you, prove it. Give me a sign, prove it. So they say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Now, I don't know um, if Jesus ever rolled his eyes I don't know, it never says in the original language that he did, but I think that if he did, this may have been one of those moments. I really do. Earlier in the chapter, we saw that the crowd was following Jesus because of the miraculous signs that they had seen. These were the same people Jesus had just miraculously fed the day before. Which, by the way, was a miracle that was so impressive, it's the only one recorded in all four Gospels but the resurrection of Jesus. That's how this miracle is. And they saw it. They ate it. And yet they still weren't satisfied. Because, as we were told earlier, they were looking for things that would only satisfy their worldly appetites, not their spiritual hunger. How are we doing? Okay. I so just wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many people today become dissatisfied with Jesus because the financial miracle that they had been praying for never materialized. I just wonder. I wonder how many people became dissatisfied with Jesus because the relationship that they thought God promised didn't pan out. I just wonder. I wonder how many people became dissatisfied with Jesus because the surgery wasn't successful. Or the job ended. Or, or the college rejected me. Or because the parents' marriage actually did fail. Or things didn't go the way they should be going at church. I wonder how many have become dissatisfied with Jesus for these and a zillion other reasons. I wonder how many people became dissatisfied with Jesus when they didn't get what they want or when things don't go their way. Um, when, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, so, and I'm preaching to me. When we put ourselves in the center of our faith, as if believing in Jesus guarantees our personal happiness, 
we will be disappointed, friends. Yeah? We will be disappointed. Not just occasionally, but quite regularly. We will be disappointed. Jesus even told his, fo- his followers, you know what? In this world, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have troubles. But then in a way that's meant to comfort you and me, and I hope that it does, he says, but I've got you. I have overcome the world. I'm with you. I'm with you. I have not forgotten you. When we become the focus of our faith, we join the crowd and my cat, (laughs) asking Jesus for one miracle after another, and yet we're never quite satisfied. Show us a miraculous sign, the the crowd called out to Jesus. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? After all, and then they reference back to this Exodus passage, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. As the scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus miraculously fed them once, but that wasn't enough for this crowd. They wanted the assurance of abundant provision every day, just like the Israelites in the desert had for 40 years. That's too much to ask. They were thinking that if Jesus could do it once, he could do it over and over. Why not? What they were missing in that moment was that he was doing it, but he was doing it in a far superior way. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then you remember they said, they said, so give us that bread every day. And then Jesus replied, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty some of us are now thinking about the woman at the well. Jesus has a similar conversation. Jesus was reminding them that in the desert, God satisfied their thirst and their hunger every day. But predictably, the next morning they would wake up hungry and thirsty. Now, in Jesus, God was providing sustenance, the bread of life from heaven that was life-giving and would last for a lifetime. All they needed to do to receive this bread, this bread from heaven, was to believe in Jesus. When we misread the signs, and when we put ourselves at the center, center of our faith, how we practice our faith becomes less about Jesus and more about us. Our hopes, our dreams, 
our preferences, our opinions, our desires, our rights, our candidate, our country, our borders, our money, our possessions, our strength, our doctrine, our traditions becomes about us, less about Jesus. But when we believe in Jesus, church, when we believe in Jesus, when we fully entrust ourselves to him, the bread of heaven who's given us, us, given us life and promised us life eternal, then we surrender to him everything and we say not my will but yours be done uh so i get to invite the worship team up as i begin to land this plane just continue to pay attention to the way the spirit might be speaking to us from his word as i pointed out Um, Not everyone in the crowd that day accepted what Jesus had to say. If this was the crowd, most of you would have gotten up and walked away and said, I've made a mistake. After all, Jesus was claiming to be God. And for the vast majority of them, that was blasphemous. Punishable by death. So we're going to look at this in greater detail later in the sermon series. We're going to get there. Um, But when Jesus began by saying, I am the bread of life, the Jewish followers in that day would have heard Exodus 3, where God reveals himself to Moses saying, I am who I am. They would have put that together. And that would have been blasphemous. So, we're not going to follow him anymore. Others turned away because they were confused, I think. And as you continue to read John 6, you sort of begin to see why. Because Jesus, and I didn't read the text, it's time. But you read the text, and Jesus does a deep dive into things like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. There was confusion around that. That lasted about almost 2,100 years. (laughs) A lot of confusion around that. And so I think that some people said, I think I've made a mistake. I'm so confused. I'm out of here. That's not clear at all. That's really disturbing, in fact, and offensive. Yeah. And in fact, the early church was accused of practicing cannibalism. If only these people who were confused could understand the significance of Jesus' sacrificial death for them on the cross and the power of his resurrection it would help to bring some clarity to their I think the most common reason why some people think it's a mistake to follow Jesus is simply because they know that to believe him 
is to commit their whole selves to him. And this, frankly, is more than they're willing to give. I think that that's a common reason why some people say, I'm out of here. I understand why some people think it's a mistake to follow Jesus. Actually, I've had moments where I've questioned it too. Thankfully, not recently. That would have come up on the 360 review. But um, I have struggled. My faith, walking with Jesus has not always been an easy journey for me. And I know it hasn't been for many of you. Even Jesus' closest disciples, the 12, who were staying with him at this very end of this, of this chapter, Jesus turns to them as the crowd is leaving and the 12 are like, oh, what do we do? Jesus looks to them and he says, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter, one who frequently would speak up first, said, Lord, where would we go? You are the only one with the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. There is no alternative to Jesus. This is where I've landed. Can I get an amen? There's no alternative to Jesus. If you think there is, I would pray that you would realize soon that there is no alternative to Jesus. He alone is this bread of life sent from the heaven so that we might have life in all of its fullness. Jesus is the greatest expression of God's love and provision for you and for me. And it's, it's, it, it's his invitation, it's his invitation to believe him, to believe him by fully committing your life to him. Do this, church, do this, friends, and you will be satisfied here and forevermore. Jesus is the bread of life. Believe.